Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, horror movies. From zombie apocalypses to tales of the demon-possessed, we'll hear what makes for a satisfying cinematic descent into terror. We'll also explore why some of us avoid this scary stuff while others can't get enough of it. And we want to hear from you. Do you love horror films? What are your recommendations? Do you hate the genre? Tell us why. That's all next on Forum. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This hour, we're talking horror movies. The ones you love, the ones that are too scary to bear, and we'll look at why some of us are drawn to or repelled by the spooky genre. We'll also get your horror movie recommendations all in time for Halloween weekend. Joining me first, Alex West, co-host of Faculty of Horror podcast, also author of Films of New French Extremity, Visceral Horror and National Identity, as well as the 1990s teen horror cycle, Final Girls and New Hollywood Formula. Alex West, welcome to Forum. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Really glad to have you on. Also with us, Anthony Hudson, co-host of Gaylords of Darkness, a queer feminist horror podcast and host and programmer of Queer Horror at the Hollywood Theater in Portland, Oregon. Anthony Hudson, welcome to Forum. Hello, hello, hello. So I want to start right off the bat with both of your top two recommendations for horror movies to watch this weekend and why. So Anthony, I'll start with you. Oh, oh, two horror movies to watch this weekend. Well, for Halloween weekend, you got to have something fun. So I'd say Fright Night, which is a, I think, queer horror classic starring the one and only Amanda Bierce of Married <laughs> with Children fame. Uh, and also actually just for pure fun and because it's having a huge moment right now with the new TV series, Bride of Chucky, man. It's just mm. so, so good. Such a joy. <laughs> what about you, Alex? Ooh, um, that is such a hard question. Um, but the two I am just kind of feeling a lot right now. Um, one is uh, a Canadian film. It's called Pie Wacket, uh, written and directed by Adam McDonald. It is so creepy, so spooky, so eerie, so 
autumnal that I think it's the perfect time of year for this, um, as well as the, um, I believe it's the 1988 classic Night of the Demons. So if you want to talk about a Halloween party gone very much awry, that is a really fun one to watch mm. as well. Wow. Okay. Well, for someone like me who, I'll be honest, I actually avoid the genre because I get way too freaked out by it, but I'm still very fascinated by it at the same time. Can you, Alex, help me understand um, sort of the origins and elements of horror films? Like, I know that you grew up on 90s slasher films and, and wrote a book about it, the so-called final girl element of these films and so on. So first, could you just start by defining a slasher film? It feels like a real classic. Oh, oh, do we have the whole hour for this question? Um, uh, but basically, uh, to succinctly or try to answer your question, uh, the kind of typical slasher is uh, a story about a group of generally youngsters, teens or people in their early 20s or much older actors trying to play those uh age frames, um, stalked and murdered, usually one at a time by some kind of mysterious figure, um, a figure who is coming, kind of coming back from their past to haunt them. Now this figure can be supernatural, a la Freddy Krueger, or um, a very real flesh and body one, uh, like you see in the Scream films. Mm -hmm. Maybe immediately think of Scream. So what is the final girl <laughs> for people who don't know? So the final girl is a character who is essentially the protagonist of the film. Um, she might not be uh, clearly the protagonist from the outset, but she emerges as the figure, the, the lone figure to stand against the monster, whomever they may be at the end of the film. And if not kill them, at the very least subdue them until the sequel. Um, and uh, the figure really kind of rose to prominence, um, you know, organically through slashers of you know, the 80s as the trope and the narratives and the uh, subgenre really became codified, um, but then was really solidified as a figure within the film. In my mind, when uh, Carol Clover wrote her treatise on modern horror films called uh, Men, Women and Chainsaws. Wow. Um, well, Anthony, that, I mean, learning about the, that element, I can think of so many horror films now that have it. One of the things that I was really struck by. I know Gaylords of Darkness focuses on queer horror, but you said that uh, you would not describe queer horror as a subgenre of horror. Why not? Oh, absolutely not. I think here's the thing is it's often considered a subgenre. It's its own little thing on the shelf if you even get a spot on the shelf. But when you look back at the whole history of horror, horror itself has been created and shaped by queer people. Um, regardless of how they identified and whether queer, you know, a very modern term was how they identified at the, at the moment, uh, historically. Um, when you look at the creation of these myths, this, this, the, the modern cinematic consciousness of horror goes all the way back to the Gothicists who were writing about this forbidden longing for the other, um, mm -hmm. you know, Wuthering Heights, you get Kathy and Heathcliff turning into vampires at the end. And it's all about this forbidden uh, evil sexuality, um, which then took, took uh, even more hold in Carmilla and this, this longing, this vampiric longing for another woman. Um, which ultimately, when you see the development of this, this story and these types of stories and films, the very first horror films were made by, by gay men, by F.W. Murnau making Nosferatu and talking about, in the Weimar Republic era of Germany, talking about what it means to identify as a monster. 
uh, Frankenstein, James Whale continued down this, this sort of um, theme of humanizing the monster and making and finding a way to talk about who he was and to, to make us some, want to sympathize and empathize with this monster who's, who wasn't, uh, isn't naturally a monster, who was just made a monster by society, by his creator. So, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just it's 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 kind of wild watching how ultimately all the Halloween costumes we wear today were influenced by these formative stories. And it, the genre really has been driven by queerness in that way. At the top, you had recommended Bride of Chucky as a film to watch this weekend. You've actually credited that film with advancing queer horror. And I was curious how Pri Bride of Chucky does that. Yeah, well, besides being the most consistent, uh, I think, horror film franchise out there, there's seven <laughs> films. They've all been driven by Don Mancini, who's an out queer creator, uh, which is pretty unheard of in the story of, the, of any film saga or franchise. With, with Chucky, he was able to initially start by writing a story about a, uh, a boy who, who falls into like a weird relationship with a doll that he... That, that is possessed by voodoo. In the original script, it was, uh, he had formed a blood brothers pact with this doll and the doll starts <laughs> acting out his unconscious desires, which is beginning to happen in the TV series right now. But in Bride of Chucky, that's when Don Mancini really pushed the queerness to the forefront and began to bring in actual queer characters. Bride of Chucky was, as far as I can tell, the first film in the 1990s and in that slasher saga to feature an out gay character named David who talks about his boyfriend and, we get to we get to feel for him and then we get to feel for him when we watch him get exploded by a truck unfortunately but it was a kind of a really serious move in the genre we're talking with anthony hudson co-host of gay lords of darkness and also alex west co-host of the podcast faculty of horror and you our listeners are invited to join the conversation what are your thoughts and questions for them what's your favorite horror movie and why if you are a horror fan tell us why the genre appeals to you or if you avoid it, tell us why as well. The number to call 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Okay, Anthony, so if queer horror is not a subgenre, is there a subgenre you really like? I've been reading about how there's the zombie subgenre or the folk subgenre that like focuses on rural regions or like supernatural things in rural regions. Is there something that you're really drawn to? You know, right now, just because I think, you know, coming through the pandemic, I've been in my house a lot. And so I'm obsessed right now with the subgenre. It's a sub subgenre, but it's wall people. <laughs> And it's wall like, people? Oh, wall people. They're people living inside your walls. You think your house is haunted because things are moving around. Uh, and then it turns out, oh, wait, no, it's just David from the past has just been trapped inside my walls for the last 30 years. Uh, you, you see this in films like The Boy and The Pact and Housebound, um, People Under the Stairs. They're just exquisite, exquisite little moments of why would this ever happen? <laughs> <laughs> but yet, since it is like something that you're relating to by being in your home a lot, how does it not get to you? How do you not freak out and think something can emerge from my walls? Well, you know, luckily, uh, cannabis is legal in Portland, <laughs> Oregon. Uh, so that helps. But sometimes it does make it worse. <laughs> what about you, Alex? What is a subgenre besides slasher films that you really like? Oh, um, I feel like I, I have a bit of love for each subgenre, but um, 
one that I've been, you know, particularly drawn to kind of recently, I guess, given the season, as it feels like such a touchstone of the genre is like the creature feature, um, you know, a big kind of, you know, in your face monster um, that roams around and causes havoc. And, um, you know, the one that really jumped to the forefront of my mind that I rewatched not that long ago is uh, Pumpkinhead, uh, directed by Stan Winston. And that is, um, it's kind of a heartbreaking film, but it's also like a big body horror film mm-hmm. um, that's really exciting to watch. Um, yeah, those that's kind of been at the forefront. And I, I just now I'm obsessed with the wall people subgenre. Like I, I totally agree with Anthony. I hadn't thought of that before and I love it. And I know I'm asking a lot of the big questions, but we're kind of setting the table here. But when I think and look at the range of horror movies, it makes me wonder, like, what makes a horror movie a horror movie? What does it have to contain to be in the genre, typically? Alex? Um, I mean, it's an excellent question. Um, For me, it has to contain some of the foundational elements of um, horror, you know, such as, you know, monsters, whether they be, you know, the pumpkin head monster or, you know, witches or what have you. There has to be the threat of uh, death or destruction in some kind of way, Um, you know, and, you know, but then you're also playing into, you know, is it a supernatural or a natural film? Is it existing in the real world or are are there supernatural elements within it? And I think that's why so many people and so many filmmakers are are drawn to the genre because they have a really big sandbox to play in. Um, like a, a film um, I, I've been going back and forth with a few friends and colleagues about is uh, Julia Ducarneau's new film, Titan, which I really, really like, but I'm not sure if it's a horror film. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, then... Um, same with Midnight Mass, has a lot of tenants, and uh, I'm not sure if it's a horror series fully. Interesting. Well, we're talking horror and horror films with Alex West and Anthony Hudson. And after the break, we'll look deeper at why people love horror. So stay with us. This is Form. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.
You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. In time for Halloween, horror film aficionados are sharing their favorites of the genre, and we're exploring why some of us avoid the scary stuff and why others can't seem to get enough. We've got Alex West with us, co-host of Faculty of Horror podcast, Anthony Hudson, co-host of Gaylords of Darkness. And uh, you, our listeners, are with us telling us your thoughts, questions, and recommendations at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email us, forum at kqed.org. John writes, Halloween was the first movie that truly scared the hell out of me. Michael was the representation of inevitable approaching death, and there was nothing you could do to stop it. Joining me now, Carly Severn. Senior Engagement Editor at KQED News. Carly, thanks so much for being here. Hey, Mina, how's it going? (laughs) It's going pretty well. And uh, I know that uh, you are someone who really loves horror and uh, did some research into why people love it. But first, just start off by telling me why you got into it, how you got into it. Oh, gosh. I got into horror movies fairly young, not too young. I really think that is the key to not being too traumatized (laughs) by discovering horror too much. Um, I was actually introduced to horror by my mum, who really loved it. Big horror fan, big sci-fi fan. And she had this big sense of introducing me to to movies at the right age and like building up the sense of theater about it, telling me you're going to love this. You are going to be scared, but you're going to love it. So, you know, she'd say to me, like, I think you're ready for Jaws this year. I think you're ready for Poltergeist this year. So it kind of became like a really big thing for me. The first horror movie I remember seeing in the movie theater was Sleepy Hollow. Uh, I would have been about 12 or 13. Um, I think that is a a perfect age and a perfect uh, movie for Halloween, frankly. So what did you learn about why horror attracts certain people? Well, I was really interested in this um, for some reporting I was doing last year. So I called up um, a sociologist called Margie Kerr. I actually heard her on a really great horror movie podcast called Halloween Unmasked, which is by the film critic Amy Nicholson talking about the making of the first Halloween movie. And Margie was so knowledgeable about like the science of fear and how it affects the body and the brain. So I called her up and and asked her this question, why does horror compel us so much? How does it affect us? And she explained to me that there are some real tangible physical and psychological benefits that you are getting when you are watching a scary movie and you are being scared Um, you are suspending belief you are entering this fantasy world and by doing that you're reprioritizing like all of your focus away from critical thinking and day-to-day reality which can be kind of dull so you're not thinking about your grocery list you're not thinking about your bills your body is instead going into this like fight or flight mode and rather than being distressing she says that effect can actually be really grounding on the body make you feel extra present extra focus and afterwards kind of almost give you this high feeling and it, it kind of makes you feel like I chose to watch that and I survived it so there's a bit of agency a bit of empowerment and also control there so yeah some tangible benefits apparently Whoa. I never thought about it that deeply but what you're really describing is I guess a genre that if you're in fight or flight can't help but be incredibly immersive but then at the same time you're describing it can be perfect for some escapism especially if things are tough, like during pandemic times. Um, We've got lots of calls on the board. So let me go straight away to Neil in San Francisco. Hi, Neil. Hi. I'm not sure if this fits in exactly with what you're talking about, but I wonder if any of you remember my first horror picture, The Innocence, with Deborah Carr, way, way, way back in 1961. 
Huh. The Innocence. Anthony or Alex, does that ring a bell? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a fantastic film. I mean, it's based on uh, the Henry James uh, book, The Turn of the Screw. It's really creepy, really austere. Um, and actually, if you go back, a uh, little plug uh, through the Faculty of Horror Archives, we did an episode on, you know, breaking down and talking thematically about uh, The Innocence and Night of the Hunter. Let me go to caller Phil in San Rafael next. Hi, Phil. Hi there. So I have some questions about where B-rate horror films and uh, it, it basically intersect with the zeitgeist of horror. B-rate like horror how films. B-rate comedies like Army of Darkness or Bubba Hotep affected the moving forward of the whole horror genre. Hmm. Anthony, do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, the kind of B-comedy sort of vibe and genre really grew up side by side with horror films. I mean, you look at the the sort of humor that's built into some slasher films that came after Halloween. You know, the earlier slashers, Black Christmas, Halloween, are actually scary and not really funny. But then you look at like the Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. They Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger himself is a clown. So as, as the as the series goes on and then the, the, the knockoffs kind of come out of that era, uh, you, you get all of this mixture of humor and laughter all the way down to National Lampoon's Class Reunion, which is a great, just like a National Lampoon movie, it's hilarious. There's a possessed woman named Dolores who sold her soul to the devil to look great at the reunion. And I love her, <laughs> uh, but it's just a silly screwball comedy that's also melded with the slasher. So they grew up together, I think, in the 80s for sure. One of the things I've been hearing bandied about, Anthony, is this concept of elevated horror. I, what is that? What do you think of that label? You know, it's 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 a, just a bad marketing ploy, honestly. <laughs> uh, elevated horror. This this is the thing. It 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 it, it kind of comes out of this new sort of. A24 brand uh, of, of marketing horror films and getting these really nice prestige horror films out. But that's all they are, they're prestige horror. It's, you have a great director, you have great actors, um, you aren't anywhere near the B sort of rating, you know? But the thing with elevated horror is we, we attribute this to these new sort of what we would call thinking person's horror films. But horror films have always been thinking people's films. When you look at Night of the Living Dead, you know, George Romero, the classic, 1968, the very first full-on zombie film where zombies eat people, uh, it's talking about societal collapse and this civil rights movement and the changing of the guard in terms of the saga of who's running the story of Western civilization. Um, elevated horror is, is not real. Horror has always been elevated in its own way. Huh, yeah. I, Alex, what do you think is the resistance to just calling it all horror? When I think of what has been qualified as elevated horror are, are movies like Jordan Peele's Get Out or Us or some of the others that I've seen put into this category, both films which I really enjoyed. But, but what do you think that resistance is? Why, why create this different sub-label, sub basically? Well, I think horror has always been, you know, considered a bit schlocky, a bit less than if you're talking about, you know, the overall, uh, you know, cinema landscape. It's it's always, you know, I think by certain critics been considered less than. However, I think there are a lot of critics out there and a lot of fans out there who know that's not the case. And, 
you know, I think I echo and agree with everything Anthony just said. Um, and I, I think people like to kind of draw lines in the sand. Like this is a good horror film because of these reasons, because it is beautiful. It is austere. It's not too much blood. It's not too much guts. It's not boobs everywhere. You know, there is a certain sense of puritanicalism to this. And I love some of, you know, the films that, you know, were called elevated horror, but, you know, to echo exactly what Anthony was saying, it's all cycles. Like this is just the newest cycle of prestige horror. Uh, you know, The Innocence is, I would consider that prestige horror. The Shiny, Rosemary's Baby, like we can go on and on about them, but they're just a way to kind of classify and codify them and just say like, this is for this audience. These are for not that audience. Um, so it's a really interesting conversation that you can have, um, you know, as to why, but I think ultimately we're all just looking for good scares and good times. Well, we've got a couple of more comments coming in. Uh, Katie writes, Kate writes, the best recent horror film, It Follows, so disturbing, flew under the radar for many. Julie writes, in general, I don't understand or enjoy horror movies. However, I do really enjoy Shalomans, The Sixth Sense and Split, neither of which feel like horror to me, but are usually classified that way. This listener writes, one of my favorite horror movies for Halloween is Pumpkinhead. It's a horror story based upon a folktale. <laughs> if you're just joining us, you guessed it. We're talking horror films with Alex West, co-host of Faculty of Horror Podcast, Anthony Hudson, co-host of Gaylords of Darkness, Carly Severn, Senior Engagement Editor of KQED News, will also be hosting Chilling Histories of California, a live storytelling event tonight that can be attended or is virtual as well at kqed.org live slash live for, for more info if you'd like that. And Carly, one of the things that uh, I've heard you say in terms of favorite horror are films like The Exorcist and also you enjoy the Netflix series Midnight Mass. And I, I noticed a pattern there. Both of those have religious themes. Is that something that's big with you? What, what do you find appealing about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I echo what Alex said about Midnight Mass. I think there's so much that, that kind of does draw from religious themes, but also doesn't. Um, and yeah, I, I was super impressed by that. I think uh, Mike Flanagan as a horror maker can be super uneven. Um, I've liked a lot of what he's done and Midnight Mass had its flaws, but I would urge people to check it out because I was pretty impressed. But yeah, The Exorcist, I would say, is probably my favorite horror movie of all time. Uh, as someone who spends a lot of time revising my top 10 in my head, I am that person. Um, but it's funny, I was thinking about why kind of religious horror endures because one thing we always say about horror is it's so good at capturing zeitgeist. It's so good at speaking to current concerns, current social fears that we're seeing. But yet religious horror kind of it keeps on the same ground and it's still so popular. Um, and I was thinking about why that might be. I, I think it's because for one thing, you know the parameters. Uh, it's kind of a plug and play thing. Uh, th there's no mythology, there's no world building you have to do. You know what's gonna happen. In the religious horror, God is real, the devil is real, and the devil's team is coming after you. It's it's deep mythology, but it's also very established, which that kind of allows a good entry point. There's lots of rituals involved, and there's like a visceral power in upending those rituals in you know on-screen acts, which can to a lot of people read as blasphemy. I mean, certainly The Exorcist was criticized heavily on its release for, for blasphemy. Um, there's a lot of bodily stuff around religious iconography as well. That's something that comes out in Midnight Mass. Um, there's also, there's an unfairness to it as well. 
this is not a new idea. I forget who said it, but there's this idea that you aren't going to look in the spooky castle, right? You're not trying to break into the laboratory. You're not breaking into the haunted house. You are just minding your own business and the horror finds you. It has come for you. You didn't seek it out. It's, it's almost like an extreme version of the really depressing truth that bad things do happen to good people. And for one reason or another, I find that super compelling. Well, on the line now, we have Zena Dixon, co-host of The Bloody Disgusting Podcast. Zena Dixon, welcome to Forum. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. One of the things that I learned about you is that your mom also got you into horror, like Carly's mom got Carly into horror. <laughs> How did your mom get you into horror? She's a huge horror fan. And, you know, I was just always wanted to do what my mom was doing, whatever she was watching, I wanted to watch. And, you know, my, my parents, they were really open about it, you know, so it was just kind of like, okay, if you want to sit here and watch it, go ahead. So they kind of gave, gave me and my siblings like a choice. And it was kind of like a way for us all to bond. It was like a bonding moment oh. for us. Well, well, you shared one of your favorite films or a film that you've loved recently coming from Hong Kong called Dream Home. Can you tell us about that and why that's one of your recommendations? Well, first, this movie is just so magical. And um, I know that's a weird word to describe horror, but <laughs> it's it just it's so thrilling because I've never seen a movie like this before in my life. And, you know, I've been watching horror movies since I was like a baby. And this one is just so brutal. And I feel like there are so many like horror no-nos when it comes to this movie. So meaning like th there's, a, there's like a long list, but just taking a line from Randy Meeks as an example from Scream saying, I'll be right back. That's a horror no-no, right? So with this movie, uh, some of the death scenes, what happens to certain people, it's, it's not expected, you know? And I don't want to spoil it, mm. uh, but it was just like people just minding their business, living their lives. And it was just again, unexpected. This concept of horror no-nos is so interesting to me. So there's like almost these unspoken rules with regard to the genre that you just don't do. Like what are yeah. some examples of that? So um, killing pets, like the dog didn't do anything. Why do you have to bother the dog as an example? Mm. Or um, stopping to see if the killer is chasing you. That's a big horror no-no. Like why, you know? Or standing in front of a mirror. Don't ever do that. Like ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're talking with with you, our audience, as well about your recommendations, what you love about horror films and learning a lot. Let me go to Bradford in Petaluma, who's been waiting. Hi, Bradford. Hello. I um, I would like to thank uh, Anthony West for taking me down a peg because I was thinking I was above the horror movie genre until he mentioned Children in the Walls. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to get the, the name of the movie correct, but when I was in my uh, my early teens, we would peruse uh, reader or the uh, TV guide to see if we could find Randy doesn't live here anymore, and we would just we would gather in somebody's basement watch this story about uh, a child that was left in the house and new people moved in and this kid terrorized the family. And um, now I, I I realize okay I'm not so I'm not so above watching horror movies and uh, uh, children in walls I blame everything on Randy if my keys go missing or I can't find my wallet but it, it 
it, it, uh, it's only creepy at night. During the day, it's funny. Uh, we blame it on Randy. So thank you, Andy West, for uh, bringing up children and walls. Well, it's I think creepiest. <laughs> I, I I think you you mashed up the names, but you are thanking Anthony Hudson for that. And and Anthony, I think it's funny when um, we hear people like Bradford saying, "Yeah, I guess I'm not above horror. I guess this is something that." Um, is is really worth watching and really high quality for people who are starting to think about okay this is not a genre that i've been into before what are the kinds of films that you would recommend as like your initial getting into the genre films if you had a recommendation in that arena you know start the way i started with beetlejuice and silence of the lambs that <laughs> explains how i turned out the way i did um <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing is these, yeah, I think we fight against horror films, right? So often, but really they're just fairy tales for the rest of us. They're morality tales, right? Um, I, I think nowadays, if you want to look at some really great films, there's uh, a film that I absolutely love that is artful, beautiful, masterfully constructed by a, a, a you know an award-winning filmmaker. I would wholly recommend um, Suspiria, the 2018 remake by Luca Guadagnino, the director of Call Me By Your Name. And it's about witches in, an, in a dance company. And it's all about the, the, the German autumn um, in the 70s. And, and it's really political. And in that film, witches use dance uh, as a way of casting spells. And it's, it's, it really talks a lot about fascism and, and art and the toll of art on the body and on culture. And it's absolutely beautiful. And it's a really thoughtful, sincere film that I think a lot of people would also be horrified by in these really, really bonkers sequences that pop up throughout it. Well, this listener tweets, I can't handle horror very well at all. I'll have nightmares for weeks after watching a scary movie. The most I can take is The Walking Dead. Civilization falling apart freaks me out. We'll have more about horror after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking horror films with Alex West, co-host of Faculty of Horror podcast and author of Films of New French Extremity and the 1990s teen horror cycle. Anthony Hudson's with us, co-host of Gaylords of Darkness, a queer feminist horror podcast, host and programmer of Queer Horror at the Hollywood Theater in Portland, Oregon. Carly Severn is with us, senior engagement editor at KQED News, and Zena Dixon, co-host of the Bloody Disgusting podcast. You, our listeners, are also here telling us your favorite horror movies, and if you're horror fan why the genre appeals to you or if you avoid it why you avoid it 866-733-6786 is the number to call to share your thoughts 866-733-6786 you can post them on twitter or facebook at kqed forum you can email us forum at kqed.org daniel in oakland thanks for waiting hi daniel uh hi good morning um just very quickly, I was wondering if you could suggest a good horror book to read. <clears throat> I guess I'm dating myself, and it's probably a cliche, but books are scarier than the movie. So if you read the book first, you'll probably have, uh, you know, a more, I don't know, uh, whatever the author intended it to be kind of experience rather than the movie. Mm. And then my comment is that uh, horror has always been my favorite um, <clears throat> kind of movie to watch, uh, because it's so versatile, anything can be horror. And another thing that I'm grateful for now is that we live in a time that uh, horror movies come from all around the world now. Uh, Nigeria, um, places in South America, Asia, obviously, not just here. So the themes that you see around the world resonate no matter who you are, where you see them. So uh, thank you for taking yeah. the time and I'll go off the air. Well, thanks for th sharing those thoughts. And Alex West, I'll go to you as, as an author of, of books about horror. Do you have any recommendations for Daniel of horror books? Yes. Um, if you're looking for some great horror fiction, um, I just finished uh, My Heart is a Chainsaw by uh uh, Stephen Graham Jones. Um, I think I got that right. Uh, I also read um, another recent book called Death in Her Hands by Otessa uh, Moshvag. Um, also really fantastic and really, uh, really, really creepy. Um, and, and then just sorry to piggyback off of Daniel's point about international horror, uh, an international horror film that I saw um, in the last year that I thought was absolutely exceptional, and I haven't seen enough people talking about it, in my opinion, is the film La Llorona. Uh, and it's the Guatemalan mm. film written and directed by J. Roe Bustamante, and it's on Shudder, the streaming service. Well, Jamie writes, I love horror, but I'm kind of a wimp, so I prefer movies more in the thriller horror genre. For example, Us, It Follows, Get Out. Any recommendations in that category? Zeta Dixon, I'll go to you for that. What do you think? Thriller type more of a thriller. Okay, um, I'm gonna go with this movie called Pie Wacket. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Alex West mentioned that one too, you're both fans. Oh, Alex, I love you. <laughs> so it's just, it, it, it does have some uh, scary elements, uh, some elements that are really creepy, um, but I feel like this one, it has like a very uh, slow pacing. So I think that that could be one that's uh, great to start off with. And then um, just a movie that's recently been released, either be coming out today or tomorrow, Antlers. That's another slow burn thriller. It does, again, there are some horror elements, but just because of the pacing, I think that it may be a great watch. Hmm. Um, Zena, you've talked about how you have appreciated how modern horror seems to 
have evolved on a better job of showing characters in more multidimensional ways. Can you talk about what you mean by that in terms of what you've noticed as sort of positive developments in the evolution of horror, especially in the way that it represents people? So when it even comes to uh, people of color, I love the fact that we are able to see I'm able to see more people who look like me on screen and they're not all from the same category or from the same um, areas of, of life. Um, as an example, one of the first characters that I've saw as an example um, with Night of the Demons, there's a character named Roger and he's, he's a black guy. And you know the line how people are always saying how, oh, the black guy always dies first. Yeah. Spoiler, he doesn't. So in that movie, it's from the 80s. You know, so that was one of the first times that I've seen something like that. But in between that time, um, now it's it's gotten a whole lot better because that's not something that we see as often. I feel like now there are more personality traits. There are different people from walks of life. So I don't know. I just I, I just love seeing that it's going in that direction. Um, well, Andy writes, Ireland has been producing some really top-notch horror in the last few years, very unique films like The Hole in the Ground, Wakewood, and Without Name. Anthony, um, it's international films that I think you have mentioned seeing a new wave of horror and queer horror. Can you talk about what you have enjoyed recently Interna from oh, international films? Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, in, in America, you have really the Chucky series is leading the way in terms of queer horror. I swear I'm not paid by them. Uh, <laughs> but then when you look at international, that's where we get really thoughtful, really artful films. I consider the 2018 Suspiria, since it was a co-production in Germany and in the UK and America, I consider that international. But there's also great films like um, The New Titane, absolutely wonderful. Um, and to that end, another French film, Knife Plus Heart. Uh, Knife Plus Heart, I believe was 2017 or 2018. And this is a slasher film and sort of a giallo throwback, but set in the world of a, a gay porn studio. <laughs> it's not explicit, um, but it's, it's about this family of queer people that all work together in this sort of utopic environment of the late seventies. And there's a self-hating killer who is coming after them and killing them all. And it's up to this um, lesbian horror porn director to solve the mystery and to stop these killings. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, and another one that I really love is The Lure. And this is an all women made um, Polish killer mermaid strip club musical set in like Poland's answer to Studio 54 in the 1980s. And it is just one of the most wild freewheeling, spins on the little mermaid that you could ever watch <laughs> spins on the little mermaid let me go to steven in san francisco hi steven hi good morning um i really don't necessarily like the horror genre but there's a film that just dropped on netflix recently called the trip with numi rapace who was in the girl the dragon tattoo mm. and axel henny who was in a film called hen hunters and it's, a, it's kind of like a Norwegian Get Out by Jordan Peele. It's really shocking. It's about a husband and wife that are planning to go away for the weekend, and that's all I'm going to tell you. Okay. But it's, very, it's incredibly clever. Um, it's gory, but I think I recommend it highly. And the, but the best horror book I did not read was The Art of the Deal. So <laughs> Stephen, 
Well, you continued our appreciation of international films with the uh, Norwegian recommendation there. Tex writes, I've never liked watching horror, especially of the kind where there is gore and violence. My empathetic response for the victims is just too strong. I can't distance myself from it, and all I feel is sad and terrible. Carly, I remember when you were reporting on why people love horror, you were also reporting on you know, when it's a good idea to do it and when it's not such a great idea to do it. Can you talk a little bit about what you learned about uh, you know, watching a horror film and not necessarily allowing someone to force you to watch it. Oh, yes. <laughs> Seriously, don't let anyone force you to do anything you want, don't want to do. And that includes watching movies that you don't want to take on. I mean, the, the last listener saying about gore and violence being difficult for them to watch. Do not subject yourself to that if you don't want to. Um, all the stuff that the, the sociologist I spoke to, Margie Kerr, where she was talking about the like the psychological and the physical benefits you can get from watching horror, you won't get them if you're not choosing to watch the movie. The whole thing is that you are taking control, you are kind of uh, steering your own destiny and you'll only reap those tangible benefits and you'll only get that like post-horror high if you decided to do it yourself. If you are you're being forced to sit down and a family member say is making you watch this movie, you are not going to have a good time for multiple reasons. And also there's just there's some stuff on screen that some folks don't want to watch, never want to watch, and uh, should never be made to watch. So that is what I will say on that. Zina, you've said that even if people think they don't like horror, there are ways to engage them in the genre. You've had some success in this. How do you make recommendations to people? Well, I try to go based on what the person likes. Um, like Carly, I, I I do not believe in forcing someone to watch something that will make them uncomfortable or, or they don't want to watch because majority of my friends, they do not, they say they do not like horror movies, but I think it depends. Um, so I have a friend, I'll give like two examples. He's really into video games and he'll watch thrillers or suspense movies, but he stays far away from horror movies. And in my mind, I'm thinking that he, he probably tried to start off watching like some, some like probably like cannibal Holocaust. Like, no, don't start off watching that movie. That's a bit extreme on human centipede. Um, so I recommended that he check out this Indian horror movie. And it's actually on Netflix uh, called Game Over from 2019. And he does love video games. So this movie, it has like a major video game element. It also has a variety of uh, horror subgenres within it. So there's supernatural. Um, it's kind of, uh, you know, chase, you know, chase and go type of thing. And he was really into it. So that was a success. And then he took it upon himself to start watching more from that director. And that director has about two horror movies, I believe. So it kind of opened up a door for him. And then uh, with one of my other friends, she's really into fashion. She went to fashion school and everything. And uh, she said that she she's not a huge fan of horror movies. So someone did mention earlier with the new Suspiria, I mentioned that and not saying that fashion is just a huge element, but she was so distracted with the costume design that she didn't really mind watching the movie. Or um, I know even with A24, they have like a comedy, it's like a horror comedy anth anthology uh, called In Fabric. And she was totally fine with watching that. So I think it depends. Like sometimes, at least for myself, it worked out. But usually they take it upon themselves um, to do that. I never tried to like force them to watch something. Yeah. I just did options. 
This is great because for someone sort of squeamish like me, but also pretty fascinated, I'm getting some good ideas for how to approach what kinds of films I might like. We're talking with Zena Dixon, co-host of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast, Carly Severn, Senior Engagement Editor at KQED News, Anthony Hudson, co-host of Gaylords of Darkness, and Alex West, co-host of Faculty of Horror Podcast. And you're listening to Forum. I mean, a Kim. And Matthew writes, my favorite horror movies this year have been Ben Wheatley's In the Earth, a great pandemic-inspired psychedelic horror movie, and Prano Bailey Bond's Censor about the UK video nasties era, and the futile effort to suppress violent horror movies in the 80s. Jerry writes, I liked Shaun of the Dead. It's a zombie film, but very funny. I did see Dan in San Francisco join us. Hi, Dan. Hi, how are you? Great. What's on your mind? Um, well, I just I remember being about 14 or 15, and my best friend and I paid older kids to buy us tickets to a movie called The Serpent and the Rainbow, and we snuck in, and it scared the you-know-what out of us. <laughs> and I watched it as an adult, and thinking, oh, it's probably not going to have the same effect. It was still incredibly scary to me. So my question is, are there movies that you loved as kids that still have that same scary effect on you as an adult? Oh, great question. Alex, I'll go to you first on that. Is there a film that scared you as a kid and still scares you as an adult? Yep. Um, ooh, I'm going to have to think about it now, uh, and it's going to make me scared, but the original Pet Cemetery, uh, directed by Mary Lambert. Uh, oh, I'm getting scared just thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to go into a long description. Then. No, but it's, it's really the figure and the character. It's a small part within the film. Uh, the wife's uh, sister, um, this figure of Zelda, and she appears like a, just a few times in the film, and that I saw at a sleepover when I was 11, and it really got to me. And then I saw it again in my early 20s. And I was like, no, it's okay. This is fine. This movie's actually kind of campy. I'm fine. I'm with it. Nightmares for two weeks. I if, if, I, if I ever watched, you know, when I have seen the film again since then, I actually just get up and leave the room for the Zelda scenes. So that's, that's how I cope. Carly, what about you? Do you have a film that still scares you that you saw as a kid? Well, since Poltergeist was uh, one of the movies that my mum premiered for me as a kid, um, I've, I've revisited it since. And people have said, like, oh, it's not scary. It's a kid's movie. I still think that movie is really quite scary, um, but in a delightful way. And I think it's a lovely entry point for, like, younger horror fans because it has those jump scares. It has those chills. Um, but seriously, some I, I think some scary moments. But maybe I'm just a wimp. I don't know. <laughs> Let's go to Michael in Boston. Hi, Michael. Hi. Uh, I don't like being scared. I like a good, inept horror movie. <laughs> you mean like something that's so so bad that it can't be that scary? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sleepwalkers is a good example. Um, the Ur text is probably Bride of the Monster by Ed Wood. Um, I also like inept science fiction. Both <laughs> types will often have... Uh, you no, know, you can tell the director is trying to do something like give you an important message or scare you, and they're just not doing it. But I think the, the difference between a good bad horror movie and a bad bad horror movie is that a good bad horror movie you have some kind of affection for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. Those are those are great thoughts. Um, also, another way to approach not getting completely freaked out. Let me go to Sine in Dublin. Hi, Sine. Hi. Go right uh, ahead. Thank yeah. you for Yeah, so uh so basically I was just going to say that uh some of the great horror movies uh I think uh, of right now um are um I think like movies that are not trying to really scare you but just have a really good spooky story at the heart of it. 
Um, and I think for that, uh, there's a director called Mike Flanagan, who um, I've been kind of watching some of his stuff. He's uh, he's just they've just dropped a show called Midnight Mass on Netflix. Which yes. Is by him. Um, and it's it's kind of nice because it has a great story. There's great characters uh, fleshed out. Uh, and then, you know, not not just trying to kind of spook you with cheap thrills and just great storylines. Well, thanks for sharing that. Really appreciate it. Um, the Dan's question about movies that, that scare us even as adults made me wonder, um, Anthony, if there is anything that even you won't watch. <laughs> oh, you know, okay. The one film I won't watch, and I don't think it's good, don't seek it out, don't watch it, people, uh, is Cannibal Holocaust. I will not watch that film. Mm. Um, it's, it's, a, it's like kind of an Italian zombie exploitation film, cannibal exploitation film, not zombies. Um, it, it was found footage, very early 70s found footage film. Uh, but there's just so much, you know, actual animal cruelty. And it's just, I'm not a big fan of Cannibal Holocaust. But other than that, I would say uh, something that I'm screening this coming Friday that I would say do not watch, even though I'm screening it, is <laughs> Nothing But Trouble uh, by Dan Aykroyd. It's his sole directorial credit. And it's Demi Moore and John Candy and Chevy Chase in a comedy spin on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Scared me when I was a kid. Scares me for very different reasons today. It's awful. Don't watch it, people. Well, Alex writes, one of the scariest horror movies I've seen was Hereditary, directed by Ari Aster, until I saw Midsommar, a very scary daytime horror movie which takes place in Sweden. Aster is amazing at building tension and suspense in broad daylight. There are a lot of pagan symbolism. There's a lot of pagan symbolism in his films, which makes them extra creepy oh that's so interesting because it was daytime i thought about watching it but but maybe maybe alex is right here it's like super super creepy <laughs> well um i want to thank our listeners for sharing their recommendations and their reactions to horror hope this has either piqued your interest given you a new appreciation or at least just taught you a little bit about horror films and i want to thank our guests alex west co-host of faculty of horror podcast anthony hudson co-host of gaylords of darkness carly severn senior engagement editor at kqed news again hosting chilling histories of california tonight go to kqed.org live for more information Nina Dixon, co-host of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast. Also, my thanks to Susie Britton for producing this segment. Thanks for listening. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation, and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.